Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore uh, thoughts and philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff. So come think with me. Today is part three of a discussion I've been having with Dr. Ed Uzinski on critical theory. And uh, today we're actually going to be looking at, at uh, a branch or a relative of critical theory called critical race theory. And a lot of times these two get conflated together, um, especially, maybe not, but especially in the Christian church. I'll say it. And uh, so Dr. Ed's going to explain for us a little bit, uh, starting off, you know, Dr. Ed, what, what is uh, critical race theory as opposed to critical theory? Yeah, Parker, so I, I like the way you, you use the word branch, because that's what I, it really is, is a, it's a branch on the, of a tree that we call the, the tree critical race theory. If we call the tree critical theory, then critical race theory is definitely a branch of that. Mm-hmm. And I equate it, and I've used this before, um, to, the, to the idea of in Christianity, you've got different branches of theology. You've got different trees of theology, like Reformed theology, let's say. And then you've got branches like the Dutch Reform. You've got American versions. You've got different kinds of Presbyterianism, right? And so what happens with those branches is that they definitely share similar language and foundations with the tree, but they they go in their own direction and they develop their own language and they emphasize and focus on certain things and they disagree sometimes even with the founders. And critical race theory is the same way. And part of the reason why I think we, we, we need to decouple them from one another though, is because critical, they're both so misunderstood they're both deep, deep holes, okay? The big, deep uh, academic disciplines. And I think what's bothering me, Parker, about it is just how many people, you know, they get exposed to talking points or talk, you know, articles or podcasts or something that they hear and then think they know everything they need to know about it, you know? And I can remember doing that even for myself when it came to theology reading a few books or reading a C.S. Lewis book or something, and then going to, to a seminary and seeing that there's actually walls full of books about this idea. And I didn't even begin to know what the right questions were, you know? And, and so this is the same way. Um, <clears throat> so they, they are different from one another. And critical race theory is a branch that is focused primarily on the law. You want me just to keep going and even kind of ex- well, explain where it came from? Because I don't even think most people know this. They think it just sort of popped up in the last five years on the American scene. Right. Well, so just real quick, man, I think it's so helpful, especially since we're, we're, we are speaking to Christians here. I have non-Christians in my audience, but welcome to our world, folks. Uh, I think it's so, so helpful yeah. that you bring in denominations because that's some language that, that they should understand, even if they don't. You know, a lot of my listeners may be uh, evangelifish in the non-denom circles uh, that I run. Uh, but it's so helpful yeah. for everyone else to see, like, just as you wouldn't want uh, someone to come to you and be like, well, you're, you're reformed. You must think this, this, and this. And Calvin College said this. And like, well, well, bro, I'm 
I'm Reformed Baptist, or I'm I'm Dutch Reformed, or I'm Presbyterian, and I'm not PCUSA. I'm this one. And so just like you wouldn't want someone to do that to you from the outside, so we should think uh, firmly, we should think clearly about the issues uh, on not 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 within Christianity. So you're you hold the critical race theory. You must say this isn't well, why don't you ask them? Why don't we find out what they what they mean? And then you can, you know, do what you need yeah. to do. So I thought that was really helpful bringing it it's back. Great example. Well, and think about think about this, just the whole idea of theory, period. Okay. In the academic world. I, I've thought a lot about this to myself lately. I mean, what a in the in the world of academics, uh, academia, everybody's trying to come up with a theory on how to explain phenomena within their particular discipline, right? That, that's, that's one of the goals if, if you're an, uh, a scholar, is you're, you're trying to come up with a phrase or a word or an idea that will serve to explain why certain phenomena happen in a repeatable way, right. okay? And if you come up with a theory, what everybody else winds up doing around you is they search for different ways to apply that theory. Okay, so so that so you're really successful if your name gets attached to a theory, and then other people spend time trying to apply it within their particular field or discipline. Yeah. And what ends up happening with those applications is sometimes you get great great insights because of that theory, and sometimes what you get sounds insane because people are always trying to come up. They're they're trying to stretch the boundaries. They're trying to stretch the limits of how people have thought about something. This is really important. This seems like it's off topic, but I think it's really important. (laughs) They're trying to stretch the limits of how we view this phenomena or how we think about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you wind up stretching to a place that, like I said, is, is insane. It doesn't really, it's not a good explanation. This wasn't a good application for for what's happening here, mm-hmm. but sometimes you get really insightful stuff. So when we're talking about critical theory or we're talking about critical race theory, there's a fundamental set of ideas that are behind it, but then the way it gets applied is, I don't want to say endless, but it's hugely varied. And inside of that, there's going to be some great insights and there's going to be some insane insights. <laughs> and so to your point, Parker, yeah. if you come across something that you think is insane, that doesn't mean the whole theory was junk to begin with necessarily. Mm-hmm. It means that particular application doesn't align with what we want to believe as Christians or maybe what you want to believe in some other uh, secular discipline. But that's what's going on in academia. You come up with a theory, other people seek to apply it. Some of it's insightful, some of it's insane. Mm. So we need to be really careful about not just throwing the whole thing away just because we came across a poor application. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, man. And that kind of, I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to this, but that, that kind of comes to the uh, the Southern Baptist uh, brouhaha over whether this is a tool, critical race theory is a tool or whether it's a whole worldview. And we talked about whether critical theory is a tool or worldview on our last episode. And so I'm sure we're going to get back into uh, whether critical race theory, this relative or branch, is uh, a, a whole worldview that you have to take hook, line, and sinker, or there's different aspects. Um, but Ed, I, I wonder if you could talk more about uh, the, the origin question again. We were, we were already going there before I stopped you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's do that. So to, to even be fair to the words critical race theory, I think we owe it uh, to go and ask where did it come from and what did the originators mean by it. And so 
It, it, it arose in the late 1980s at Harvard and other Ivy League schools. There was a guy named Derek Bell, a woman named Christina Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Gene Stefanczyk. I mean, these are some of the, some of the holy names of critical mm -hmm. race theory. And they were law professors who, th this, this was the context that they're in. There's been hundreds of years of very intentional separation between white people and black people that's been hardwired into the legal system of America. Now, again, that, that wasn't a political statement in the 80s, and it's not really a political statement now. That's, that's just the truth of our history. Un at one point, unashamedly, intentionally separating people from one another, building laws that would justify keeping people apart from each other. Red and line laws that those and, laws would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. redlining, um, you know, what happens in schools, where you can go to school, where you can live, uh, what, what's criminal behavior, what, mm -hmm. what is going to be uh, um, the penalty for different criminal behavior. All of that stuff was intensely racial, racialized, very mm -hmm. intentionally. Well, intentionally and sometimes not intentionally, it was just kind of what was normal. Right. So what these guys end up doing is, is they say, well, let's start exposing um, those unjust ways of viewing things, those unjust, unjust ways of building law. Let's start exposing that and reforming it. Let's put it out in the light and let's start to change it. So here's a, here's a great sentence. I wish we could write this down in a chat or something, but this is from David French. A lot of people know David French's name. He was actually at Harvard in the early 90s when this was first developing, okay? And he said, a critical legal theorist will often deconstruct any given story or narrative to look for hidden ways that power, privilege, and assumptions about language color our decisions and our discourse, okay? Let, let me say it again. He said, a critical legal theorist will deconstruct, so he or she will break apart any story or narrative to look for hidden ways that power, that privilege, assumptions about language color our decisions and our discourse. So that's fundamentally what it is. It, it's taking whatever situation is being handed to us and it's looking through a racial lens to and asking the question, is power being used or privilege being used or language being used to, uh, to make things difficult for people of color or that, that make things difficult for people of color? And I would just say this again right here. Sometimes the application of that or the searching out of that lands you in some places that I think are a stretch where race, there's too much being made of race in this situation. And there's definitely, more often than not, though, too little has been made of race. And that's why critical race theory today is still digging in its heels the way it is and is becoming so popularized, is because, and I say we, because white people tend to um, dismiss that kind of critique. They, they tend to not want to see that that's, <laughs> that that's present on any level. And so all that does is make people want to fight more, you know? Yeah, so. man. Well, um, so add real quick on that. Would would you call that like, uh, dude, this guy's out here chopping leaves right outside of my window. Uh, I hope no one can hear that too much. Would you call that like I white fragility then? Is, is that is that like people's 
white white people's um, wanting, uh, I don't know, push back against any kind of, of, of this race talk in law? Would you call that white fragility? And, and if so, is that different than the white fragility that's uh, written up in the book and, um, you know, propounded today? I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I think, honestly, I think it's a it's a combination of, you know, again, that's those have become such trigger phrases: white fragility, white supremacy. Those are trigger words that just immediately cause people to see red and not be able to think clearly anymore. So, how about this? In general, white people do not have a great history of talking very intelligently about race or ethnicity. We just don't. We, we don't think of ourselves as being um, racial. We don't think of ourselves as having a race. And we just, we, under, we undervalue the idea of race, even though <laughs> because of white supremacy, what we've been saying all along is white is good and black is bad. Like I said, that, that was just kind of hardwired into the system. So yeah, it's sort of a convenience to um, not ever want to talk about it or not ever be able to see the effects that it has on people that are different from us. Uh, to, to not be able to, to hear white fragility and not immediately say, oh, you're calling me a racist and, and you know, completely dismiss that critique because it's offensive to be called a racist of any kind or because you're redefining what racism means or whatever. And it's like, dude, we have a really hard time talking about race and we have a really hard time owning the history of what's happened and the effects that continue to sprawl out today. Again, maybe not to the same level that they were 50 years ago, but there are still tons of effects that we don't want to pay attention to. So that's a lot of words to say, yes, I do. I think that it's very much a function of being fragile and being able to talk about it. And I also think it's a function still of, of being ignorant about white supremacy and just the mm -hmm. idea that white people are better than black people. It's kind yeah. of hardwired into our systems. Yeah, man, I, I, um, well, we could, we're going to get into this too. Uh, some people listening right now are probably thinking, you know, white supremacy. What I, I thought this was a podcast on philosophy and theology, and now you're 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 talking all this liberal garbage. And I just want to just maybe I can, we can help you guys real quick. Like, if you've ever growing up, if you ever said like that that girl's, you know, she's she's beautiful. Like for a black girl, yeah, yeah, for a black girl, she's beautiful. And it's like, well, that's kind of what people are getting at when you like having to qualify it with like for a black girl is like, well, you're saying that the, the normal is white and, and that's what they're getting at with white supremacy that you have to qualify beauty for an Asian girl or a, a, a black girl or whatever girl or guy, however it plays out. There's some feminist critique and stuff like that you can get into too, but specifically on the race issue, I think that is helpful. If, if, if that's what we're talking about, that's like bare minimum, then you can say, yeah, for sure there's that going on in the world today and as a christian for sure dude sinful hearts like sinful hearts are going to act sinful um but so so ed i thought that was interesting yeah. that that uh critical race theory came out of law and it's kind of the second generation after the frankfurt school uh because it's starting in the 80s and it's starting with kind of like a what i would call hermeneutics of suspicion in law 
just looking at all these laws are kind of guilty until proven innocent because we've had our blinders on for so long. Good. Now it's time to kind of treat them with suspicion and see we, are, are these actually affected by implicit bias or uh, inherent white supremacy kind of stuff. Does that sound right? That's right. That's a good way to say it. And again, as we've already said a couple of times with each other here, sometimes there's way more going on than just race. In right. fact, there's always way more going on than race. So um, I'm bothered when I see or hear overly simplistic conclusions that are drawn on the basis of race. I don't think that's a good idea. Life is more complicated, but race is always a component of what's going on. Race is always involved in some way, shape, or form. I think there really is something to that that we tend to not want to believe or tend to not want to see. I say, again, I say we as white people, we tend to not want to see that or look through those lenses. And as a Christian, to your point, Parker, I'm not, um, how do I want to say this? I'm not unsettled by that. I think, how about this? If, if uh, maybe we even said this in, on the other podcast, but critical race theory only finds its way into Christian thinking because Christians have failed to take issues of ethnicity seriously for the last several hundred years. That's the only reason. If we, would, if we would actually, if we had a theology that was robust enough that took seriously ethnicity in the Bible, took seriously the language of oppression, took seriously studying power dynamics through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament and the way power works, we don't, we don't typically look through that lens in interpreting scripture, or interpreting what's going on between people. If we did that, though, and we had a Christian view of those things, people wouldn't need critical race theory. If Christians had stood up and said, these laws are unjust, again, I think we've said this before, if Christians had stood up and said, the way that person's being treated is unjust, what's happening in this school system is unjust. If Christians had led the charge on the basis of having the heart of God for all people and not wanting to be partial and, you know, so many other places in scripture that tell us to watch out for marginalized people that tell us to care for the immigrant, that tell us to make sure that nobody's being mistreated. If we had already been doing that, there wouldn't be any room for critical race theory in, in Christian thought. So we apparently need it. Dude, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, I can hear, so I'm going to try and embrace my inner fundamentalist. I'm, I'm an evangelical, and I mean that in the theological sense. So I've, I'm cultural affirming, but I've got, I hold to the fundamentals. But with that comes this, I have the funny in my head, and I have the liberal in my head, and they fight all the time. I think that's probably what it means to be a good yeah. evangelical anyways. But I think, you know, I, I hear the yeah. fundy saying, what about, you know, there is one human race, you know, there's not multiple races. And so for you guys to just hook, line, and sinker, take this and appropriate it without addressing that fact, man, how do you, how do you answer someone who says something like that? Like uh, a Christian can't use critical race theory because uh, there's only one human race. What, what would we say to that? Yeah, which I just, I think some of those critiques are so interesting. Or another one that's like it is all we need is the Bible. 
I, yeah. I keep reading people saying that. So or the gospel, yeah. One thing, I, yeah. So one thing I want to say above it is we all need to get better at our both and thinking. Our both and muscle needs to get exercised mm. better. Okay, we, we we should be able to do that as Christians, anyways. In in uh, realizing, for example, that the kingdom is both already here and not yet realized yeah that we are both under the sovereignty of god but we still have free will mm. that satan is completely defeated because of the cross and yet he still has power right now right these apparent contradictions that are happening but they're happening at the same time yeah. so yes yes we're one human race absolutely i affirm that and yet for hundreds of years, we've not acted that way. Mm. So stop with that. I just think again, and so I want to be even generous. Maybe you are ignorant. Maybe you are without knowledge, seriously, because you have no interactions with black folks at all. Your only interactions with people of color might be through media or through social media or that, but you don't actually have real relationship with people. And so it's, maybe, maybe you just don't know, but we've never operated like there's just one human race if we did we wouldn't have we wouldn't even be having this discussion that's never been how we've operated and to christians shame because we should know better the christians who have a theological advantage to understanding that we're all one human race created by god idea we've been going right along with secular culture in in uh affirming slavery affirming all Jim Crow, affirming all of these atrocities that happen under our watch. So that's what I would say to that. It should be true, but it's not. All we need is the Bible. Well, I definitely agree with that. I, I shouldn't need any sociolog secular sociological insight. I shouldn't need it. But man, there's there's been people holding their Bible for hundreds of years that affirmed slavery and that affirmed Jim Crow and that stood by while injustices were happening. I mean, that still is happening today. So with your Bible that you should know well enough that it would cause you to stand up in the face of injustice, you're silent. Hmm. So apparently we need something more than the Bible. We, we need another voice to jolt us. We need another discipline to kick us in the teeth. Apparently we shouldn't. And that's what the people that are afraid that, you know, I think of my critical, my friends that are uh, both black and white that are completely comfortable around this uh, racial critique language. And I hear them get criticized for, for uh, having a low view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think, actually, I think these guys actually have a higher view of the Bible because they are taking it more seriously than I think some of us are. When it comes to ethnicity, when it comes to oppression, when it comes to injustice, okay, these words that never seem to make their way into our pulpits, hmm. that we never seem to get much theological input on, they're all over the place in the scripture. We just don't see it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, it does make sense. So, I think there, I think there's like an error theory that we can offer too, where it's like, if you, if you've been, I mean, you haven't used all these words that, that we, we need to use, but if you're in the majority culture, meaning like more people in this country look like you than don't look like you, then you haven't had to think through this 
as often or uh, as intensely as someone who's in a minority culture, meaning most people in the world or in their culture don't look like them. And so there's a reason for it. And it doesn't yeah. have to be that you had malicious intent, though some people did. It's just that it, it, it didn't pop up because it wasn't high on your priorities because the world looked different to you than it did to them. And so it doesn't have to be, I think that's kind of part of the, the pushback or the, the fragility, if you want to use that word, because it's like, well, you're saying I'm a bad person, man. You're saying that I suck, that it's my fault that I did. And it's like, look, for some of you, it is, and you need to repent of that. For others, it's like you were ignorant, you were uninformed. Maybe it's your pastor's fault, or maybe it's because of the culture you live in. Uh, but whatever that is, like you can work on that now. And you can check it out. And if it's wrong, then oppose it. And if it's not wrong, and if it's a helpful tool to help you connect and become like all things, all people, then use it. That's right. Yeah, that's good, Parker. And, and don't overreact mm. uh, when you're receiving a corrective. I think that's what's happening too. Uh, in crew maybe in the Southern Baptist Convention and some of these other places where these discussions have popped up. There's been years and years of neglect and not seeing or, or valuing the observations of people of color mm. and listening to the conditions that they're facing. And so now there's an overcorrection that's happening and there's language being used that, again, maybe going too far in its overcorrection but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, so for example, I'll hear, you know, a guy like Neil Shenvey, who I, I respect what I see him doing out there and just other people that are trying to critique critical race theory. Yeah. And they'll talk about how they'll list some of the tenets, you know? So, so for example, one of the tenets of critical race theory is that racism is central, permanent, normalized. Okay, you'll, you'll see that racism is central, permanent, normalized, and, and people kind of lose their minds about that. Yeah. And I think uh, that what they mean by that is that, that race is a factor in everything that happens in our society. And, and before you dismiss that, it's like, slow down and just listen, study that, pay it, pay, look through that lens and see how that can be true. I mean, for example, I never thought about how racialized sports were, which is crazy because if there's one place where there are white and black people very mixed together, it's there. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's amazing how much race plays a role play can play, who gets to own teams, how decisions get made, whether you're allowed to celebrate in the end zone or not. Um, what you're going to do when it comes time to protest. So we got all kinds of politics in pro football. We've got breast cancer awareness. We've got military flyovers. We sing the national anthem. Uh, <laughs> there's been, you know, presidents visit a big games and we focus on them. That's all super political. Yeah. But the second somebody takes a knee on the advice of one of their white military friends, it, the nation melted down over that, right? right? And now we don't want politics in sports. And it's yeah. like, well, man, no, politics have been there the whole time. Wow. Okay, so, so that's what they mean by race being central, normal, sense that it's always kind of there. But it doesn't mean that I have to lose my mind thinking, well, it can never change, or that means 
every one of us is just a racist through and through yeah. that can never change. I don't think that's what's being said. And when it is, I reject that. Um, <clears throat> I, I give you one more, that there's an emphasis on lived experience instead of objective truth. Right. Okay, that's another one that I hear critiqued all the time. Well, I mean, what does that mean? It, it means that we, for years, we'll, we'll come up with a study, for example, that says we've interviewed uh, 100 cops and we've determined through this quantitative study that, you know, cops really don't have any kind of implicit bias towards people of color. Cops, they, they're, not, they're not racist in the traditional sense of that word. That's our conclusion based on this objective study. Meanwhile, you can take 100 black people and sit them down and talk to them and 90 of them will tell you that they've got stories of problems with police in non-criminal situations over the course of their life where they felt like they were being treated differently mm -hmm. than, than people that aren't black. That doesn't mean that all cops are racist, but it certainly doesn't mean that all black people are just crazy in their mind. Okay, mm -hmm. which is how that's always kind of been framed up. This is a, the black problem. There's something wrong with them. Yeah. And so critical race theory is saying, no, we need to take seriously that 90 out of 100 have said there's, there's, a, there's something going on that's not right. And we need to address that instead of just dismissing it. So, so even some of the tenets of critical race theory that are being attacked or that we're afraid that this is going to undermine the objectivity of the scripture or this, that, and the other, I just say, guys, you're missing the whole point. Mm. You're missing the point. The things that they're pointing out are things that, again, not in every case, but in most cases, the things that are being pointed out are things that I can affirm as a Christian. I may have a different solution in mind for how to make it right because I'm going to take people to the cross and I don't expect a secular non-Christian person to think of the cross. Mm. But the observation is one that I can affirm and saying that's not right. There's something wrong with that. So... No, that's really good, man. There's there's a lot there's a lot of different avenues we can we can take here. I, I'm just thinking um, immediately. I'm thinking someone might say, you know, uh, since 1964 the Civil Rights Act was passed, and maybe before then you had systemic racism. But today people talk about. I think a, a big problem is people say there's systemic racism, and then someone who listened to Ben Shapiro, who I listen to Ben Shapiro, so just all all uh, honesty out there, um, all cards on the table, but they'll say, well, what systems? What do you mean? What, what, what laws are racist? Let's go fight those together. And then people will kind of in their stammering because a lot of people have just thrown around the word systemic racism and they're, they're not meaning maybe uh, the system in the same way as uh, a conservative would say. And so then you get this kind of problem with lived experience where you say, okay, you may think that this is the case, but this, the data is saying it's not the case. And so I think what's, what's cool about what you were just saying is like, look, if this many people are having these experiences, how are you answering it? Are you saying that there's a collective psychosis, that all these people are, are wrong? Are they liars? Are they making it up? Or is there something actually, is there, is there a truth in their lived experience? And if there is a truth, how do we as Christians go about addressing that and trying to reach people who feel abused by the system. See, that, that's good, Parker. And that's why, and th this is what, what I wind up saying to my 
my people of color friends who are most concerned with white supremacy and sort of a latent racist um, vibe mm-hmm. is that I don't think most of the white people that I hang out with are racist in that traditional sense of the word. Mm-hmm. I don't even think necessarily that they're trying to hold on to some kind of white privilege. Although if they were confronted, they, 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 they may grasp onto it. Mm-hmm. I think most white people are guilty of ethnic indifference. Mm. They're guilty of ethnic indifference. They don't care about what you just said, Parker. They don't care about if we find 90 out of 100 that say they've got this problem. Well, I'm not in relationship with any of those people. I'm not in relationship with any people that are like them. And I just don't care. (laughs) You know, some, somebody had said to me the other day that uh, it still bothered them that 50% of the nation voted for Donald Trump, even though all this racial stuff happened. Okay. That this was kind of the, the, the corner that she was sitting on and she's person of color. And she said that just bothers her because that just tells her that most of, you know, that, that 50% of the nation is still kind of racist in their core. Mm -hmm. And I just said that, I don't necessarily think that that's true. What I think is that the race issues matter to them, but it's number 10 on their list. Mm -hmm. It's number one on your list. It's number one or two. Everything that you see that happens racially in this country immediately grips you at your core. I'm hanging out with people who see that stuff happen. They see Ahmaud Arbery get shot in the street or see what happens with George Floyd. It's number 10 on their list. Mm -hmm. And that's terrible to say. And if if it even makes it into the top 10, there's something wrong with that, I would say to my white evangelical friends who continue to allow that to stay outside their top, the top of their list or somewhere near the top of the list. They're much, much more concerned supposedly about abortion. As my wife even pointed out to me the other day, you know, most people that she knows only care about abortion during election time. Hmm. They're not doing anything with abortion the rest of the other four years. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. The other three and a half years, they're not even thinking about it. But now I was, sudden it's election time and abortion is like the number one thing that we're going to vote around. That's going to be the most important thing that we're going to cast our ballot in the direction of a president that's been the most pro-life president. And I just look at that and think we need maybe some of our ethical priorities to be jolted and adjusted. And I say that for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I just think we've all become a little callous towards things that actually really matter to the heart of God. A more holistic list of things that matter to the heart of God. He's not just a one issue God. (laughs) Yeah. No, dude, I I hear that. I was going to push back on abortion too, because, you know, some people who would be like, if if abortion wasn't on the table, a lot of these people wouldn't even vote at all. And I I resonate with it. I I follow those people. I, I, I can put myself in that lens. I've been that person um, often where it's like, okay, well, this is why if I'm going to vote at all for any of these scumbags, it's be it, whoever is going to make abortion harder. I'm going to vote for them. And I care about race. Yeah, right on. But, but like they'll, there's this ordering and dude, I'm not saying it's right. Like there's exactly what you said, where there's like this top 10 of ethical issues. And depending on your past experience, your lived experience, depending on who you are, you're going to have different things in those areas. And I think you're right when it's, when it's, 
bro, uh, abortion's wrong because of the Imago Dei, because people are made in the image of God. Uh, injustice is towards uh, black people is wrong because they're made in the image of God. And so, bro, if like make your make image of God your voting thing, then, you know, do that, like image of God all all the way around, and yeah, we could talk about that more later. But then you you may not. You, I know this is a whole different discussion, isn't it? I, and I actually need to land the plane right now, Parker. Yeah. But it should be really hard for us to vote for anybody then these days because. Mm-hmm. I don't really trust either side has a holistic view of the Imago Day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even if they call themselves a Christian, I don't believe that. Cause I think they're way more influenced by, by their party, by what they perceive the voting block to want or whatever, than they are driven by a, a moral righteousness. Right. I think both sides are whacked out. So again, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that launches us into a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But we as Christians, man, we, we can do better when it comes to this whole race thing. We can. We, we can do better. Yeah. We can stop being so reactionary and start acting more redeemed. We, we can start being, stop being so revolutionary, you know, and burn the system down and, and, and be reconcilers. Like, mm. we just shouldn't lose some of that most basic stuff that we're called to as Christians. Critical race theory is not the greatest danger facing the church today. Our, our lack of concern for the issues that are behind it has always been the bigger issue for decades and centuries. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should be talking about. Yeah. So. No, dude, I, that's helpful. I got to go get on that other, uh, in that other situation. Yeah, dude, uh, we might have to, I mean, would you be open to, to continuing this on for, for one more? We might have to go one more here. I it's think just I, I think one the I gotta let you go, but if it's a tool or a worldview on how we can appropriate that and then the disunity. People always talk about disunity in the church and how and I dude actually I feel this one a lot. We are not unified. We are not acting like the people of God today in the in the West. No way. Okay. I'll answer it quick. It's a t- tool. It's not a world, it, it's, it, it can be a worldview, just like critical theory can be. It just, people are trying to put a hodgepodge of different things together. If they're not going to come to Christ, then they're left with just trying to put together uh, mm. uh, a buffet line of things to make up their worldview. So some people use it that way. Yeah. But as a Christ follower, I don't need it to be, it's not a worldview that's in competition with my holistic worldview. It's a tool for me to see stuff that I've been ignoring, that the Bible actually calls me to pay attention to, okay? Mm. It's a wake-up call. It's a smelling salt is what it is. Mm. And as far as not being unified, listen, love people, serve people, listen to people, and try to help them come to Christ alongside of you. That's it. It, and and when that happens, it doesn't matter what color people are. That that formula always works to love, to serve, to listen, okay, and then walk to Jesus together hmm. is way different than just having this culture war, heresy hunter. Uh, you know, make sure that you know. I, I make sure you know where your worldview is wrong, hmm. and I'm gonna keep being on edge whenever you try to talk about stuff that has to do with race or any 
Okay, just stop doing that. Stop. Stop doing that and see what ha happens, white or black. Because when people wait together with love and with service and listening and walking to Jesus together, beautiful things happen, man. Yeah. That's, that's always been true. <clears throat> man, that's a good word, Ed. I, I seriously appreciate that. that. That last part there, especially, man, just that's some hope. I, I, I hope. We do that. I, I want to see the church do that. Dude, thanks so much for, for these three episodes, man. This has been really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we do another one. Maybe, maybe I just become a regular. Maybe it becomes like like Parker and Ed's Pensees or something. <laughs> I'm open to it, man. I love it. I need your wisdom here. This is good. Well, uh, we're going to have to stop there, right, guys. They're waiting for me on that other. Yeah, go ahead. Hop off, Ed. That's fine. I'm just going to close this off here. Yeah, All right. this, I'll see you, man. See you, man. Yeah, thank you again. Uh, as always, you know, this has been Parker's Pensies. We could say more about it, but uh, we can't we can't say any more. Ed's gone. So uh, you guys put some pressure on him. Have him come back. Um, he might become a regular on here. But uh, it's tough stuff. I get it. I, I'm – me and Ed don't agree on everything here, but it, I think the last point that he was making is so helpful that we – we have to be like Christ, even in opposing critical race theory or in appropriating critical race theory. And we have to actually be like Christ of Scripture. Like, that's who he is. So read the Scripture and find out who is Christ. Read the Scripture and, and, and see what did Paul do in reaching people, in going down a certain way and no further, right? Being like to the Jews, he became like a Jew, though, you know, under the law, but not under the law, but under the law of Christ. And... Like, do that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm solo, so I can just totally go off and, and totally discount everything Ed said. I'm not going to do that. Um, pressure that dude. Get him back on here. Um, this, is, this is all we're going to have to say for today. But uh, hopefully we can do it again, Lord willing. And uh, this has been Parker's Pensies. As always, all glory to God.